0: Log Talk Radio.
1: Right into this world, all alone. That takes your soul. You're on your own.
2: The crow flies straight. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Way In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin do not have a co-host tonight. I don't think I do. But anyway, the show must go on. It is Sunday evening, the day before Martin Luther King's Day. So I know a lot of people are excited to be off of work tomorrow, as I am. And hopefully some people can join us and chat tonight, call in live and and touch base with us. A lot going on in the sports world over the past week. We did join you Wednesday night, and you joined us. It was a great show. And tonight, we hope to have the same. Now, J.C. Sherbert will be with us at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, an hour from now, to discuss this this crazy weekend of recruiting and, and going to let us know about the Auburn Tigers. Hosted about seven or eight five-stars this weekend. Probably the biggest you know, recruiting weekend of the year for any team, actually, to have that much talent on campus. That's a lot. I mean, usually you split them up a little bit to get more quality time. But since Muschamp Champ came not too long ago with T-Rob and, and another coaching move from Alabama, it's just you have to get them while you can. You have to get them in, get the visits in. Anytime someone takes an official visit this time of year, it's it's very important and it's very serious. So JC is going to shed some light on that. He's also – I'm going to ask him a question about Lane Kiffin possibly – He's the front runner at San Francisco to be the offensive coordinator and and what would that mean when when you see these big name coaches leaving Alabama to go this close to recruiting? They've lost two defensive coaches last week, one to l s u and one to auburn and now all of a sudden you throw in another loss, especially an offensive coordinator only returning two starters, losing their quarterback. This could be very interesting for the Alabama Crimson Tide. I mean, I don't know what to think of it. And, and we know the agent of Lane Kiffin. We know who he is, though. It's not like, you know, this is um, 100% truth that that he's going to be leaving. But he is a top candidate there. So we're going to find out more about that from J.C. Sherbert to see, A, how much is true. Because remember, Lance Thompson left Alabama this past week to take the same position at Auburn, which uh, a month before, less than a month until signing day, it just raised some red flags to me. And not only that, I think his name is Steele. I'm trying to think of his name. I apologize. Left to take the job at defensive coordinator job at LSU. So now if Kiffin's gone, who can who can Nick Saban hire that's out there to come run an offense and to keep the recruits intact? You never know this close to signing day, but it's going to be a lot of fun talking to JC. We have to discuss the Penn State debacle tonight. The NCAA has gone back and given the wins that were vacated by Penn State. Uh, It was over 100 wins I know of. are back in Joe Paterno's pocket, he is the winningest coach of all time. I want to hear your thoughts out there about what you think. I mean, it's just like all these punishments happened, and it still wasn't enough and now they're starting to get back to what they took away from Penn State. But nowhere have I heard anything about these kids that were suffering. And I want, I'm want i going to talk in detail about that, because I've heard a lot of people this weekend talking about, you know, Joe Pa didn't do anything wrong. He didn't know. He, he was the scapegoat. He didn't – he's too old to know. Well, I'm going to bust that theory right in the nose tonight, right live on air. So if you're a Joe Pa defender right now, and I'm not going to bash the guy. I'm gonna tell you why you're delusional and and why you're wrong on this one. And and usually I res and I listen to him and I'll listen to yours but if you if you try to defend Joe Paterno tonight and, and say that that he knew nothing, then I'm gonna we're gonna have to talk about it on air. I'm not gonna agree with you but, but like I said I'll respect your opinion and and let you speak it. But if you think Joe Paterno didn't know anything about this and, and did the right thing once he found out about it. If he didn't know before, then I'm just very interested to hear from you. And at halftime right now, the New England Patriots up on the Indianapolis Colts, 17-7, to not a very exciting game, especially like the Green Bay-Seattle game earlier we're going to discuss. Now, that was a, a great game for the ages the defending champions. You know what Rick Flair said at best, to be the man, you've got to beat the man. Green Bay thought they were the man. They wanted to be the man. But at the end of the day, they could not knock off Russell Wilson and the Seattle Seahawks. But, wow, what a game. I was – deep down inside, I was rooting for the Green Bay Packers. But at the end of the day, when I saw Russell Wilson bring his team back the way he did, the way his team came back at home, it's it's just hard. I'm watching it with my wife, and she's starting to pull for Seattle. And I'm watching it pulling for Green Bay, so it was it was kind of fun to watch it with someone going against you. But what a great game it was! Seattle will be in the Super Bowl, and we'll discuss that game momentarily. And a, and a team I'm going to bring up tonight in the NBA. You know, we don't talk a lot of NBA, especially during the football season. We wait until it gets closer to the playoff time. But what about those Atlanta Hawks out there? I'm in Atlanta, and no, I'm not a I'm not going to be a bandwagon Hawks fan, but you have to be impressed with the second-best record in the NBA, the first-best record in the East, 33-8. What has happened? I know Atlanta brought in an assistant coach from San Antonio, but if you, you look at this Atlanta team, you look at the statistics from last year's San Antonio team, but what you see is an exact match. So what happened? All of a sudden, the Atlanta Hawks are really the best team in basketball if you look at it behind Golden State. So, I'm just I'm just amazed that the Atlanta Hawks and I bashed them. I I don't like watching Atlanta sports a lot. If you have the Braves, they they choke every year, the Falcons never can get over the hump, and now the Hawks all of a sudden are 33 and 8. So, what are the chances the Hawks continue this pace? They wait until the playoffs get here and they're a one seed and they lose to an 8. Now, now that's how Atlanta sports operate so if you're a lot of Falcons fans they or any kind of Atlanta fan they they live in frustration and they they don't get disappointed anymore I noticed you know Green Bay fans they lose they're they're devastated you know New England fans lose they're devastated Yankees fans they lose devastated same with Boston but the Atlanta Braves could could go undefeated in baseball it makes the playoffs, in the first round get swept, and it's okay. There's always next year. That's the difference when I look at fan bases. And it's it's funny how Atlanta teams are. You see, I mean, the Georgia Bulldogs are god's sake. I mean, they could be preseason number one, have everything set up to win a championship, and they go seven and five, and everything's okay. We still love Martin Rick. We want him to be here, and I just don't get it. And I remember some some of my friends that used to do radio would always bash the Atlanta teams, and I would listen and laugh. And then when I started paying attention to what they were saying, and started paying attention to how Atlanta teams did, they were right on. They were they were 100% dead on and accurate. And it's just funny. You see the Atlanta Hawks dominating the NBA right now, and it's it's, it's actually good. I mean, to to see this. But I want I want some people out there that, that listen to the show, that follow the Hawks, to call in and let me know what happened to Atlanta. I haven't been watching a lot of NBA this year, but I have watched a lot of college basketball, but the NBA, I haven't. But every every night I look at the, the scoreboard, and it shows the Atlanta Hawks winning another game. So, amazing. That's all I can say. The Atlanta Hawks are doing great. Keep it up. But I'm telling you, when playoffs come, It'll be playing the Sixers in the first round, and they're going to lose. You mark my words there. If they win a, a championship, I'll just eat my words, I guess. But I don't see it. And staying in the NBA, you know, Craig Anthony, an old UNLV Rebel star, works with CBS, and I think it's either TBS or TNT, arrested Friday and charged with soliciting a prostitute. So... He has been suspended from CBS. They did come out and say he wouldn't be back this year. But, but one thing that that he said just kind of struck me is he apologizes. He made a mistake. A mistake. I mean, is that what it is? He apologizes his wife and everything. So, just wonder what she's thinking right now. How embarrassing would it be for your husband to get caught with a prostitute or trying to solicit one? This has been under investigation for a while, so I just wonder how long Greg Anthony's been doing this. If you made a mistake, a mistake to me is one time lapse in judgment. Okay, that's a mistake. Well, I made a mistake, I said the wrong thing, but when you repeatedly do something until you get caught, is that a mistake? So I'm just asking out there, anybody wants to call in, 646 716 five, five, six, four. I'm going to try to talk as long as I can until 930, but I'm hoping people call in. But JC, I'm excited to hear his interview and and to hear what he has to say about this wild recruiting weekend. Very excited to to hear what he says. and, and, And what's the most fun time to you out there when it comes to recruiting? Is it Is it the signing day? Is it the month leading up to it? Or is it just the entire process? Because college football ended last Monday night. Ohio State is the national champion, as we all know. But this kind of gets us closer, you know, February's signing day, and then a couple months later we get the spring game. So we don't have to go too long without college football. And if you live in the south like I do, college football – is a 365-day-a-year job. I mean, we talk it, we love it, we live it. It's every day. Just because football's not on TV playing, it doesn't mean we just leave it alone. We're going to be on this show, We every week on this show, one thing about we in sports talk, we talk college football and we talk NFL football. Those two things will definitely, no matter what, be discussed on a show that we do. Any program that's live here, we discuss football. Now, you know, when March Madness gets closer, it'll be 90% March Madness, 10% football, but there's always going to be football. Baseball season, it doesn't matter. We're going to do football. That's what our listeners uh, demand. That's what they crave. That's when our numbers are are as high as college football and the NFL is being talked about. I know people are watching this game tonight, but I had to start this show at this time. Can't explain to you why, but I just had to start it at eight thirty tonight. The New England Patriots, up uh, like I said, seventeen to seven. And we did a I was on the Couch Potatoes show this morning, that being said, comes on every Sunday. And if you want some NFL talk, Cuervo and, and Couch, they do the best job of, of analyzing NFL that, that I've heard on ESPN, that I hear on CBS, that I hear anywhere. This show, Sonny Clark is an NFL fiend. He he loves everything about the NFL, but he, he asked me yesterday, you know, I called in and, and did something on his show, but he asked to rank the quarterbacks, the top 32 quarterbacks in the NFL, and, and I thought that was going to be easy until I started going through this exercise, and it is so hard to rank, like, 20 through 32. It's just like, you could just put them anywhere, but I just want to let you guys know my top ten and see what you see what you thought out there. My number one quarterback that I had listed was Aaron Rodgers, the number two quarterback, Andrew Luck, number three Tom Brady, number four, Peyton Manning. And keep in mind this is currently not of all time or anything like that. So four was Peyton Manning, five Drew Brees, six Philip Rivers, seven Ben Roethlisberger, eight, Joe Flacco, nine, Cam Newton, and ten Matt Stafford. So, just, no, I don't think I had, yeah, I had Joe Flacco, Cam Newton, and Matt Stafford weighing out the top 10 right there. So, it's just very difficult to, to rank these quarterbacks and really get an idea. But what what I can tell you is the top 15 is a lot easier to do to me than 16 through 32. So, the top 15, no problem. You can argue. You can make differences, you know, who you have, who I have. That's different. But, the worst quarterback in the NFL. I mean, Geno Smith is it him? Is it Josh McCown? Is it EJ Manuel? Zach Mettenberger? Sean Hill? Hoyer? I mean, who is it? I mean, that's that's the easier ones. I mean, you could put them either one of them in the last place, and it would it would make sense. But we had some fun with that this morning. But their show, you know, ours is college football mainly. That's what we specialize in and that's what we follow religiously, which we do the NFL but Sonny Clark and Cuervo, they they get on the NFL and and they're some of the best people when they come to discussing it. Just love to hear their points of view, their rankings and and I'm telling you, you go back and listen to the archives of their show and that being said, they're right on a lot of stuff they talk about. You can go to ESPN, CBS and it's 50-50 I mean, it's just do you can I trust what they say? Can I not? But if you find someone that you trust what they say analyzing sports, and they always give you the truth no matter what, that's what I look for, and that's what I get with them. And so if I'm making my predictions and I, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding who I want to pick, or if I listen to that show, usually they can convince me one way or the other of how to predict a game, and and it's pretty cool. I don't I don't just listen to other people and just take everything. So I take. Bits and pieces. They may say one thing that makes me uh, that I'm on the fence about a game, and I get off the fence. And I'm telling you, eighty to ninety percent of the time, they're right. And uh, just enjoy that show. And on Saturday mornings, Roger Noriega, the scorekeeper, sports talk with the guys. It's early. It's nine a.m. Eastern time, six Pacific. What they do, but they do a two hour show on Saturday mornings. And if you've listened to the show, Roger's been on a lot. Followed by the break it down show and that's with Couch and Querbo and Scorekeeper and Big Dog and all them. So there's some great sports shows on Block Talk Radio if you're out there and you're trying to find something. They you know, they die off. If you if you notice Block Talk Radio, I've noticed there used to be some decent shows, but what happens is people they're not passionate about what they do or they get discouraged with their listeners and then all of a sudden they quit. But one thing I've noticed in the last 3 years, The Scorekeeper with uh, sports talk with the guys and NDB Media is they're on every week. It's religious. It's clockwork. These guys are constant. And when I'm listening to a show, when I'm trying to find somebody to listen to, consistency is the main thing. Sunny Clark and Cuervo every Sunday morning, regardless, they're on every Sunday morning. Doesn't matter what. They may move the time an hour, but they're there. And that's what I try to do with this show. We've had a this has been a tough year for the Tarvin family and a lot is going on, but we've tried our best to make it consistent for the listeners out there and people that want to support this show. We do our best. We're not professionals. We don't claim to be, but we want to be. I mean, you know, I'd love to be a professional one day and have a gig and be able to talk sports for a living. That would be my dream. But the consistency of knowing that every Saturday morning that I wake up, I can flip on sports talk with the guys and and listen to that two-hour show And follow it with Sonny Clark and Cuervo and and all the rest of the guys that hit 11 Eastern. And and I know that's four hours right there on a Saturday if I want to listen to sports talk that I've got it. I don't have to go to ESPN and try to find something to see what their their agenda is going to be. But I get to listen to some of the best shows on Block Talk Radio. And the one thing about Block Talk Radio is the honesty of the host and what they can say. They can be honest. They don't have to be co- politically correct all the time and say the right thing. But that's what I like about it. And I just don't think a lot of people out there realize that if, it doesn't matter what you're interested in. There's something on block talk radio that, that's going to interest you, your hobby or, or something you like hearing about. I don't care if it's cooking. I don't care if it's FBI detectives. I don't care if it's surgery. If you want to know anything, it's it's on block talk radio, and it's growing a lot. But one thing about the sports shows, my show, our show, Weigh-In Sports Talk, and that being said, and Sports Talk with the guys, it's a it's a constant. I hope to keep it that way. And I hope all the people that listen to this show support their show, and I, vice versa, I hope their their listeners support ours. So it's awesome to, to see the support. And right now still seventeen seven New England with the ball right now, 10 minutes left in the third. The rain is coming down, and this is why Hurst dome teams like the Colts. The rain's starting to come. They're a dome team, winter conditions, and here goes big. I don't know who that is. It looks like another touchdown for New England. A trick play. It looks like with an offensive lineman caught a touchdown pass. And we we saw last week with New England and um, Baltimore. Baltimore was really upset that a trick play happened, and an ineligible receiver. <laughs> something like I can't remember everything with it but Tom Brady 14 and 24 140 yards two touchdowns and a pick but it looked like a I thought it was a lineman he went down caught a pass for a touchdown so always leave it to Belichick and Tom Brady to come up with something special in a game like this and it looks like unless a miracle happens like last game New England and and Seattle are going to be in the Super Bowl you have two weeks to prepare. Who do you who are you gonna go with, guys? Tom Brady or Russell Wilson? <laughs> That's a no brainer, right? Um the Pete Carroll's a good coach, they have a good defense, but I just don't see anyone right now denying New England that championship right now. They're just Tom Brady knows it's towards the end of his career and he's he's trying to make one more push at it to win the Super Bowl, but very impressed with what New England's done this year. They got home field advantage through the playoffs, and it looks like it's paying off. 24-7 to with 10 minutes left in the third, but do not count Mr. Andrew Luck out. Never count. A true gunslinger out that, that, that can come back just like Aaron Rodgers could come back or you know Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, any of those guys. You can't count them out until it's over. The NFL's Today, I thought Green Bay had it, 16 to nothing. Then they were up 12 with just a couple minutes left. The next thing you know, we're heading to overtime, and Seattle gets a touchdown to end the game. A lot can happen in the NFL, and I'm about to play a commercial real quick to give myself a break and to to help the sponsor. So We'll be right back in just one second. Thinking about switching telephone service for your business to voice over IP, but you don't know where to start? We'd like to tell you about Clear Voice VIP from Telesystems. It has more features than traditional phone service, is more reliable, and can save you up to 60%. Call us toll-free at 866-608-7182. Clear Voice VIP is business-class phone service you can count on. 866-608-7182. We are back. You are listening to a live episode of weigh-in sports talk and at nine thirty, jc sherbert the head recruiting at national recruiting director of cbs will be on 247 sports.com if you haven't checked it out make sure you do that's where i get my recruiting information from it's uh especially you know if, if you're not going to be able to do it all year round you can't pay for 247 sports do it for at least three months do it from from November through February, or something, do it to where you can really get the best, get the most from your uh, out of your money and and your time. I've learned a lot about recruiting just reading these guys and stay up to date. I hate having to to rely on someone calling me on the phone and telling me something when I can I can look up the information myself. So two forty seven sports dot com can't go wrong. J C will be with us in about forty minutes. And let's we'll talk a little bit about game, the Green Bay Packers and the Seattle Seahawks. And I know you've watched it. If you're probably listening to this show, you you watch this game because you just don't listen to way in sports talk without watching the the NFC championship game. But it was it was a game that I would just say some missed opportunities for Green Bay. I would say uh Seattle shot themselves in the foot a lot today. Green Bay though. The one thing I can say is Green Bay did not capitalize on some of those turnovers. Instead of putting sticks on the board, they got down to the half-yard line a couple of times and ended up kicking two field goals. And that surprised me when I was watching Green Bay, and I know how Aaron Rodgers is and the way their coaching staff is. And I know points are at a premium, but when you're at the half-yard line and you don't go for it, something's wrong. I mean, it's just do you not have enough confidence in your team especially with a uh, Eddie Lacey in the backfield and Coon is your fullback. Are you telling me that you can't even get in to the end zone? But, I mean, even if you don't, you get stopped. At least Seattle starting at the half yard line or one yard line, whatever it's going to be. But it's just, there's nothing more demoralizing to me. Watching a team drive all the way down the field and, and just end up kicking a field goal from the half yard line. I just, I would rather get stuffed and get nothing. Now, if it's late in the game and you're down by a couple of points, yeah, kick the field goal and take the lead. But early in the game, I think Green Bay could have put the dagger in had they capitalized on some of these turnovers with touchdowns instead of field goals. But Aaron Rodgers was Aaron Rodgers today. And you have to remember, his stats are not going to be what they were in the regular season. This is playoff football. Nothing's easy when it comes to going on the road in Seattle and and playing a defense of this caliber. They're very tough-nosed, physical, physical, physical defense. But Aaron Rodgers, when you hear 178 yards, you're like, wow, he struggled. He didn't struggle. He, he took what a very stingy defense gave him. And once they got inside the red zone, that's when Seattle really, really stepped up. So 13 points in the first quarter, uh, two field goals and a touchdown. After that, he had three field goals from Green Bay, one touchdown in the game. So Seattle's defense really came to play. Russell Wilson outpassed Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers had 178 yards and a touchdown. Russell Wilson, 209 and a touchdown. The majority of those yards came in overtime on that one drive. But what about beast mode today? Two running backs I really enjoyed watching. Eddie Lacy, 21 rushes, 73 yards. He does a spin move that you gotta love. And Marshawn Lynch, twenty five rushes, hundred and fifty seven yards. I mean you, you talk about beast mode, Marshawn Lynch and, and Eddie Lacey, and I have Everett prox on the line with us. Everett, man, how are you doing? And and what did you think about the Green Bay Seattle game? I know you love watching Aaron Rodgers loops. Well I got to see the end it. I had to move furniture today, so
1: I got to see I got to see the, the last I got. To, I think I started watching it when they scored the second touchdown, and uh, of course yeah. I, I, you know, I, I kind of got mixed feelings because I'm a. I, I like Eddie Lacy because he's a Bama boy, but I can't stand McCarthy and I can't stand Rodgers. So I had to pull for the uh, the Seahawks because I, I just can't stand to see Aaron Rodgers <laughs> one of those footballs. So I enjoyed it though. So.
3: Well, whatever. what surprised
2: me was when I was watching this game, you know, Aaron Rodgers and the coaches, they're very cocky people. But to get down to the half-yard line, really, and to, to settle for field goals, I mean, what do you think? Were they afraid? Were the, was the confidence low? I mean, why would you kick field goals down at the half-yard line when you're a team like Green Bay?
0: Well,
1: and, and I kind of understand that. You know, You know, me and you talked about the Oregon scenario where they were, you know, going for it on like fourth and six, you know, down the goal lines to the kick in the field goal. I mean, you talked about that. You, you know, you take your points in that situation where it's fourth and six. Uh, I, I kind of understand why you, you're talking about Seattle, you know, and that's the premier defense in the NFL. In my opinion, it's not a better defense. So, you know that cap- that that defense is perfectly capable of stuffing a fourth down play in that situation. So, in in that kind of game, you figure points are going to be a premium. You take what you can get. Um, in, in my yeah. opinion, I don't, you know, I, I against Seattle. If it be d- different, if it was, you know, uh, somebody else's defense, that, you know,
2: the Bears. Yeah.
1: Well. <laughs> You know what I'm saying. Against a really yeah. good defense like Seattle, I think you take your points when you get them.
3: Well, whatever,
2: while I have you on here, while I got you on here, um, we're going to discuss tonight the NCAA giving Joe Paterno and Penn State back all those wins and the money they were fined. They're going to use that to educate people or, or whatever. BS yes, they're talking about of helping kids that are being abused or – or molested, or whatever. What are your What was your initial thought when you heard the NCAA gave back these wins to Penn State?
1: Well, to me, this was a criminal issue and not a school issue. You know, this is a this is an issue that should be handled in the courts. Uh, I don't think the NCAA should have had their hands in it. You know, I, I think all the punishment that handed was hand, that should have been handed down should have came from, you know, the justice system. Uh, It doesn't matter whether it's football, uh, workplace, office, uh, you know, school. It it doesn't matter where that kind of stuff occurs. It's wrong to be handled by, uh, by somebody who, you know, by the justice system. You know, punishing punishing the university, the kids that go to that school, the kids that played on those football teams, it wasn't their fault. What happened was just somebody bad, you know, did something that shouldn't have been done. And, and those kids and those students and those players that played throughout that time that you're talking about were the you know, wins and the money and the fines and all that they are giving back, it wasn't their fault. You know, this was one bad individual that should have been punished. Well, the,
2: not the not Well the problem I the problem I have with it, Everett, is you know, and I know Joe Paterno's dead and I'm not here to bash him, but when he found out, just say he didn't know anything about it, but when the the McQuarrie came and told him about this, the first thing he didn't do was what you would do is and I would do is go to the police and if he wasn't in on it or knew about it. What, don't you think that, that he would have gone to the police department? And for that reason, Everett, it's, you're putting winning and, and your reputation at football ahead of the well-being and what's right with kids. And the wins are just wins. But what, what I was hoping that that message would send to him is, we're taking all these wins away since that's the thing you valued the most, was winning. Your coach is not going to be remembered as the all-time winning his coach because – He supported child molestation. That's what I was trying to get at. Well,
1: yeah. Well, you know, I I agree. I agree with you there, as far as that goes. But what good is it going to do, Paterno? Now, you know, if they had done it, if they had done it while he was while he was alive, and I don't know. Now, you know, I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying that assuming that he knew, or that he that he he had proof that just went on according to protocol you know there was two other people above him that should have called the fbi or the police or whoever you know governs a school like that when there's a crime and as far as we know he may or may not have reported it to them which would have been his protocol would be to go to his you know president or athletic director first and let them know and then they should have together called as
2: a group and had somebody come in and investigate. So, so why? I'm, I'm just asking you, and I'm curious. Why would Joe Paterno's first move be to contact the president or the AD and not call the police, since this was actually a criminal matter?
1: Well, if he didn't have, if he didn't see it happening, all he's got is somebody telling him that it happened. He should yeah. inform his employers, and they should have together. You know, called and had somebody come in and investigate it. If he don't have proof, you know, I don't know that I don't know that he would want to. You know, let's say let's say for the sake of argument that Sandusky didn't do it; that this player was just saying that he did it. And he calls the he calls the cops, the FBI, whoever. They come in, they find out he didn't do it. Now, you know, this is a guy that he's had on his staff for several years; is probably a friend of his and now, you know, this guy hates him because he called in and caused all these problems. So, I, I you know, I, I think you should follow your protocol, and in fact, says go to the university president first, then that's what he should have done. Now, if the president, has, in my opinion, if they didn't call, if the president didn't call right there, then he should have done something. You know, but now... That's, uh, that's a good uh, point. Uh, you know, I, I, you, you kind of put, you know, here, you know, you don't know. I mean, you know, your, peop- your the people you have listening to your radio show don't know me. You know, you do, but you know, those people don't know me. So you could tell them that, you know, I'm a really good guy and I'll do this, this, and this for them. And then you know, they call me and I I don't do it. Well, in your eyes, you don't know that I didn't do it, but then they they tell you and it's their word against mine. And now me and you, you know, you've been friends for a long time. And then, you know, you call somebody and investigate me, and I get upset, you know. And now now our friendship's ruined if I didn't do it. You know what I'm saying? And if I did, then, you know, of course I need to be punished. But, uh, you know, I mean, that's a tough spot to be in, especially when you're talking about somebody you've known for years and years and years and coached with and spent mm-hmm. the better part of every day with. So, you know, who's to say that he didn't do what he was supposed to, according to protocol? However, if he did have somebody saying that these things occurred and they didn't do it, then he should have, because it was his yeah. program that it was happening in. So, you know, I, I don't know. You know, maybe he went to Sand well, and said, look, don't do it no more. And, you know, he didn't do it on campus, but he did it at home or wherever. Yeah, well, I,
2: I have a problem with the query though, and like we discussed on this show before, if if I'm a coach at Penn State and I walk into the locker room in the showers and I see an old man with a kid naked in the shower, well, you know that guy's probably not going to walk out of that shower. They're probably going to no, have I, to carry him out of the shower.
1: Yeah, there would there would have been evidence right then of something bad happening because somebody's <laughs> fixing to get the get the jaw jacked up around the ears.
2: Uh, you know, see, that, that's that's what I have the problem with. I mean, why did he leave? That kid in harm's way. To me, McQuerrey committed a crime. If you leave a kid to to get hurt even more after you saw it, I mean, I I think that's some jail time right there. Here's
1: the problem. See, in that situation, when you see something like that happening, Carvin, it's not uh, it's not a locker room. It's not a workplace. It's not uh, you know whatever. That's a crime being committed, and that's what's wrong with our country. Is we don't have people with enough guts to step up and stop a lot of this stuff. You know, we have we have people that that want to be politically correct and follow whatever. But when you see something like that happening, man, you've got to step up and be a man and do something. You can't let allow that to happen. You know, and to me, that's that's very cowardly, if you ask me.
2: And if I'm not mistaken, he's not coaching anywhere, is he?
1: I don't know. I I wouldn't think he would be, but you know, you well, never can tell.
2: Well, I, I I get what you were talking about with why are you going to make the, the players that, that get out there in and, and blood, sweat, and tears and give it all to to win with their team, why are you going to penalize them for the actions of a few that didn't even play the game, but – you know, and, and I'm not going to sit here with Joe Paterno dead and sit here and bash him. But you know, the only thing I was going to bring up is how he handled the situation. And I guess it is different now. If Joe Pa had have seen it himself, that would have been the time to call the police. You well, know, you without know I mean? okay, I'll, I'll talk to the AD later, the president. But right now, I'm calling 911 because I'm—he's probably too old to fight or to do anything, but. He could he could stop it, but like you said, somebody comes to his door and says, hey, I just saw this. And maybe that was shocking to Joe Paterno to even hear something like that, and they couldn't fathom what he was really talking about. You know, when, when, when you tell somebody something, sometimes they don't give you enough information or, or make it believable. Maybe McQuarrie was in shock. I don't know, but it's just a bad situation. At the end of the day, nobody won, Emory, ever. and everybody lost. Mm, no, me. no, nobody nobody kids, nobody the kids are hurt yeah the kids are and, hurt, and you
1: know that's all you that's
2: know all the, that matters the
1: truth the truth of the matter is too is the probably the only people that know the truth about how it was handled and what happened is probably Paterno and the two guys above him, the athletic director and the president you know as far as how it was handled, and the you know man <laughs> and he's dead, you're not ever gonna know how it was handled, really, you know I mean. You're gonna not gonna no. know whether he did wrong or he did right, you know. So, if you know at this point, you know, if if they thought he did wrong and they took the wins away, I mean at this point he's dead, so you know. But the the thing is, is that's just that's just a thought. You don't know for sure that he did wrong. You know, I mean, no. you don't know we'll for don't. sure that he didn't. You know, you're sitting here speculating on what actually happened. And we don't know that, you know. I mean, I don't think that he handled it right. But I can't sit here and say that because I don't know what actually happened.
3: Yeah.
1: Uh,
2: You know.
3: Yeah, you're right. It's
2: hard to – you can't – that's why I said I'm not going to beat this man up that's passed on and and try to ruin his name because, like you said, we weren't here. We were in in Georgia or Alabama when this happened. We we weren't in Pennsylvania, you know, up there with Sandusky. But the bottom line, the people – they should be behind bars. They are behind bars. And at the end of the day, taking wins away or giving wins, it doesn't matter. The bottom line, like you said, it was a crime that was committed and it had nothing to do with the NCAA. And and, and, and I'm with you, Everett. I don't think they should have gotten involved to start with anyway. But when they did get involved, when they got involved and they handled those punishments down, why do you, if you ever have to go back and take something back, it means you didn't do a good job the first time, right? They obviously yeah, jumped well, the gun. They emotionally and just laid the hammer down, trying to prove a point. And then maybe they came back and said, "Yeah, we didn't have the proof to be able to to do what we did." And and maybe that's why the NCAA everybody views it as a joke because they have no power. I mean, they're they're idiots. Well, they, you know, they have no
1: subpoena power. You know, if you have universities that are in question as far as sanctions and stuff like that, paying players and all that stuff. You know, to me, it's just uh, a waste of time, really. I mean, the NCAA, in my opinion, is a joke and, you know, always has been, or in my lifetime anyway. Uh, I'm sure, you know, before I really started following football and understood the game, you know, they probably did some good things back in those days. But in the last 25, 30 years, it's been – it's it's just a so laughing stock. Yeah, it's a laughing yeah, stock. So I mean, it's And the idiot they got it's running. A, it's like – it, it
2: reminds me of Barney Five, Everett. You know, they
1: don't have any power or anything. So <laughs> that's, that's, a that's a good analogy. Yeah. That's a good analogy. Exactly, that's exactly what they – but, I mean, you know, it's just – you know, they're they're – they're a waste of time, a waste of you
2: know they're a waste of money <laughs> uh, is what they are and uh Yeah. Hey Everett, uh, the, the Patriots went up thirty one to seven on the Colts. Any thoughts on the on the Patriots and Colts and, and it looks like the Pats are gonna go in advance. So, who do you like in that matchup the Seattle and New England's playing? I I'm I'm on stick with Seattle, man.
1: I, I mean, I, I think Brady's probably one of your ten best all time. Belichick's a great coach. I I don't know if if, if they had a more stable running back than you know. No, LeBl- Le, don't get me wrong. Le, Blunt's p- uh, powerful, um, but they just you know, if you watched any of the first half, they they you know running line. You know the the touchdown before they just go you know with a tackle eligible. And you know, trick, form, trick plays. You know, I I just don't see that working against Seattle. The the Legion of Boom's for real, man. That's a great defense. It's one of the best I've ever seen. And they, you know, I'm a Steelers fan. I've seen some great defenses in the '85 Bears and you know, some of these you know some of the Dallas Cowboy defenses of the '90s. And you know, there's been some great defenses. And the Legion of Boom's right up their them, man. They're good. They that's a good defense. I mean. They made Cam look like a junior high quarterback.
2: and,
1: and uh, Well, Cam actually know. played
2: a good game, Everett. Once I went back and, I, and watched well, it and looked at it, he made some mistakes, but he actually
1: played decent. So he played
2: better, I, better than
1: I thought he would. That's the thing, though. He, you know, me and you have talked about Cam because he's an Auburn guy and you're an Auburn fan, and we've talked about him. And, and he's matured a lot, but he's still got a ways to go because if you notice, though, when he made the mistake – he might not have made one mistake in ten plays, but on that eleventh play, when he made that mistake, it cost him a ninety-yard interception. <laughs> you know, pick six.
3: <laughs>
0: you
1: know, you you make those mistakes against that defense, and you pay for it. You know, that that's the thing. You know, if if you make a mistake against them, you pay for it. Now, Russell Wilson didn't play great, but he got it done in crunch time, didn't he? Uh, he did. He made a he made a big throw on a two-point conversion. I don't know how he got it that far. But if he don't make that throw they get beat on a field goal,
2: so you
1: know Or I mean, or he, get he,
2: picked he, off and ran back for a touchdown. For a two point conversion. Well, you can't
1: do that in It's dead. Oh it is? It's dead in the NFL. Oh I didn't know I didn't know that. Play's dead, yeah, yeah, play's dead. In college you okay. pick it and run it back, but in the NFL it's dead. Uh Well, you
2: can't, well you can't. Ever, stay, right, stay right there just a second. We have a caller, Cuervo's on the line, and and, and Cuervo, we're talking about the Green Bay Seattle game, man. What'd you think about it?
0: Um, well, let me let me not to let me try to not be too much of a homer here, but uh, I thought it was a great comeback by the Seattle Seahawks. You know, um, what it really said was, you know, this is a team that they don't they don't give up on themselves, they don't give up on each other, and. You know what? In all honesty, it's not about how you start, man. It's it's how you finish. You know, and everybody forgets that. You know, you can you could jump out to a twenty to nothing lead in the first quarter, uh, but you still have three and a half quarters to go or what you know, whatever the case may be. So, you know, it, it it means
2: nothing. Well Cuervo, I was talking with Big E about about Green Bay settling for field goals at the half yard line, one yard line a couple of times. They just could not Get in the end zone. Credit Seattle, but I mean, why would you kick a field goal early in the game when you're down at the half yard line? When you have Eddie Lacy, you have Coon, you have a quarterback sneak option, something. I mean, that, that that's not a competent team to to be able to go out and not go for it on fourth down at the one or half yard line.
0: And and that's what I that's what I said. You know, after the first field goal, what what because we were messaging each other on Facebook. What was after that first field goal? What did I say? I said Seattle's already won this game because the confidence of the Green Bay Packers just was not there. You cannot go up to the link, all right, the 12th man, whatever, however you want to refer to Seattle, okay, be one yard away from putting it in the end zone for six and settle for a field. I mean, they didn't even try it. At at least you try it and and you show Seattle that you're up there and and you mean business, not – well, we're just going to take what we can get because you're playing right into Seattle's hands when you do that. And that's exactly why, you know, even though the game played out the way it did, the the, the, the confidence, I mean, once one play shifted Seattle's way, that was it. It, it, it was a done deal. So, um, you know, that's why when the whole time that they were up 16 to nothing, everybody's like, oh, you know, Seattle's going to – I said, well, you know what? The game's not over yet. You watch. And – you know, lo and behold, that's that's what happened.
2: Well, Everett, you know, you know, today we were we were breaking down our quarterbacks and everything, best in the league. And speaking of that, Andrew Luck just was almost a pick six. I had Andrew Luck ranked second, Everett, and, and is that too high? And I'm thinking it is. I don't know why I had him so high, but where would you rank Andrew Luck right now in your in your top quarterback list?
1: i will put him in the top five, but, uh, you know, the book's still out on him. Uh, you know, he, he's going to be good, I think. In my personal opinion, I think he's going to be good before he's done. Uh, but right now, you know, they he don't have much of a running game, you know, and, and I, you can't put it all on a second- third-year quarterback. I mean, you've talked about that, you know, before the quarterbacks, you know, until they've been in the league about four years, you don't really know what you're gonna get, you know. And like I said, I think he's gonna be really good, and I think he's top five. I mean, I think he's, you know, but you know, he's human just like anybody else. You're playing in New England in the rain, and you're playing against a well-coached, well-disciplined football team. And if you don't play really good, you're gonna get beat. So, you know, you, well, I want to ask more- you, Everett. Where, where are
2: you going to put, honestly, without saying, where do you put Cam Newton if you're ranking him? After four years of seeing uh, him.
1: I'd say somewhere in the, in the middle third. Uh, well, you're you
2: know, saying
1: like I'd, I'd top, play, top 10, top 12, maybe? Yeah, probably. I'd, I'd say around 12. You know, 12 to 15, somewhere in there. I. I, I like I said, I've always said he's got the tools. He just has to mature, you know. He has to, you know. When you talk to him, my pet peeve is showboat. You know, it's one thing to, you know, make a big hit on a guy and, you know, or make a big play and get up and be excited. But when you get up showboating and doing the Superman things, and I mean you talk, you know, you don't see Peyton Manning doing that. You don't see Tom Brady doing that. You don't. You don't even see Russell Wilson or Andrew Luck doing that. You know. So you know. <laughs> He's got to become more of a leader than more of a centerpiece, you know. He's got to be a leader for his team instead of a centerpiece for the television camera. And, and, and he's got to quit worrying about what he looks like, you know, on camera or to the fans or to whoever and worry about how his teammates view him. And once he once he gets their respect, he will be better. Uh, the quarterback has to be the leader. You can't look to your offensive tackle, you know,
0: well, well that's, that's a
2: that's a good that's a good point, and Cuervo. I mean, that's a fair assessment. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you would agree with that. Uh,
0: yeah, I, I do. I do agree with that. That's a
2: good. Point. And I think you know, and and sometimes you know, when you look at your own,
0: either when you're a
2: fan, a fan short for fanatic, of a team or a player or something, you may you may forgive the faults in them more than the people that are just out there neutral looking on and seeing it. So the most people i talk to, the majority, say 95% of the people out there think Cam Newton. So a a decent quarterback could be good, but maybe around top 15, where I have him a little higher than that. So Cuervo, it it could be possibly that I'm wrong on my
3: assessment.
0: Uh, I mean – I mean, it's 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 obvious that you have a lot of love for Cam Newton. He's an Auburn guy, which is understandable. You know, I mean, that's why yeah, that's why I'm specifically Peyton Manning guy because he he I mean he went to Tennessee, so you know it, it's 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 understandable. Um, but you know, I, I just I just think that, and it's not all his fault really, but he hasn't been able to take his game to the next level yet. But when when you're limited as far as what you can do offensively, you can only put that on the quarterback so much. I mean, you're you with those receivers in Carolina. I mean, you're asking Cam Newton to almost turn water into wine, and it's. I mean, you got to have somebody that. And look what he did his rookie year with with a with a healthy Steve Smith that was still, uh, you know, somewhat. I, I don't want to say he was young, but I mean he's still he was pretty fresh as from from a physical standpoint so mm-hmm. look what he did his rookie year. so when he has guys that he can re- yeah that he can rely on uh that's what you get with Cam Newton so but, and again the good thing about it he's he's what 20 not, not even 25 years old so the best is yet to come for him
2: it was, it was it was quite a but but, but. But Everett said something that was it was right. Now, now when you, I'm gonna name some quarterbacks, and, and you talk about the actions of Cam Newton, the way he gets up and does his Superman all the time, and the way he showboats. I don't see Aaron Rodgers really doing that. Andrew Luck, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Ben Roethlisberger, Joe Flacco, um, Tony Romo, Russell Wilson, uh, people like that. You name those quarterbacks, and you even go back in all time: Joe Montana, Dan Marino. Um, you know, no showboats there. So, so why is it ever that Cam Newton thinks he has to do this when all of the great quarterbacks that we mentioned right here,
3: they they're
2: not showboats. They just go to work and they get the job done and they they go back. I mean, it's it's not that hard to figure out. Dude, I don't know
1: why he does that. I mean, he's got like I t- you know I told you he's got the capabilities to be really really good, but why he does that? I mean. You can go back to raising, you know, or you can go back to high school football coach. You you can go back to a lot of reasons. You know, some of these athletes that are, you know, highly recruited, they get, they feel like they're privileged, and then they just keep that attitude, you know. Or it could be because in high school he was so good that, you know, his high school coach just pretty much let him do whatever he wanted to do, or his parents letting him act ever how he wanted to act. I don't know. You know, (laughs) I. He's got the talent without a doubt. There's no doubt there's no doubt. And to make a point to what Cuervo was saying, you know, he he is limited. He has had running back injuries and they do have a young core of receivers. But that that just in my opinion makes what I said even more important. That's why he has to be a leader and not a showboat. Because, you know, if you got young players around you, you have to somebody has to step up and be the leader. And yeah, they've had injuries. They've had, you know, Steve Smith left and young, you know, rookie receivers. But, you know, in a couple of years, there might not be nobody in the game as good as Kevin Benjamin. He's, I mean, we're talking he's got the size and the ability to become Megatron capable. I mean, you know, he he could be that good because he's five what, 225, 230? I mean, he's a big guy. He could very easily become that type of receiver. So, you know, but somebody has to step up and be a leader. And it can't be the offensive tackle, it can't be the center, and it can't be the tight end, and, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's got to be has to be the and quarterback. That, yeah, it has to be. Yeah. That's a, that's a good mean,
0: point. Like,
3: How much
2: longer are we going to give him, though? How much more of a pass is he going to get? I mean, four years to me. Is plenty of time. I mean, it shouldn't even take that long to come in and humble yourself. And and I know he wants to have fun and everything, but yeah, the Superman stuff when you get getting beat thirty-eight to three, I mean, it's a little absurd, don't you think?
1: Yeah, and but you know, this is a different era, Tarvin. It ain't the same way as when I was growing up, man. You know, you know, kids aren't disciplined the same way. Kids aren't raised the same way. And you know, I got a 23 year old right now. He's a good kid. Don't get in trouble. Uh, You know, smart, athletic. You know, but sometimes he's gullible, and sometimes he's, you know, he believes people because he's trusting. And that, you know, that could be my fault. It could be his mom's fault. It could be, you know, the kids. Kids are just raised different now. Now. You know, they they don't mature, and that's that's right now. That's Tyler's problem, or my boy's problem, is because he's he's not he's not matured completely yet. But it's a different era, you know. It's it's a different. It could be something to do with how he was raised. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how long you give him. I guess when he quits playing good, you know, that's that's all you give him. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, two more years, maybe three more years, give him a chance to get some people around him. and See what he can do, and see if he'll grow up. I mean, I, I can give you, you know, I, I can go back and give you at least one quarterback that that played me in, in the league for a long time, and he was really talented, and he he wasn't a troublemaker, he wasn't a showboat, he just played on a bad team, but he stuck around. Actually, I can give you two. Jim Plunkett was one, and the other one was Doug Williams. He played in Tampa Bay for years, and he went to Washington, and won a Super Bowl. You know, so, you know, you don't never know. I mean, he may stick in around the league 10 years before he wins one. Uh, Or he may never, you know. I mean, Peyton, look how good Peyton's been all of his career. And, you know, he's got one to show. So, Yeah, only one. Yeah, incidentally, I think that'll be the only one he gets, too. I mean. I, you know he he's always been a good quarterback, but you know he was all. I mean, you talked about his record in the playoffs in bad weather. He's never had the strongest arm, so you know now
2: that he's hurt and older, it's going to be even tougher for him. So.
0: Yeah.
2: Well, Big E, man, thanks for joining us. I'm going to let Cuervo talk just a minute. We'll bring our guests on, man. Take care of yourself, and thanks for calling in. Cuervo, I don't know if you heard this about a rumor real quick, uh before Trent Richardson, before the game today, it came out that Trent Richardson wasn't playing because his mother passed away. It came out tonight she didn't pass away. So who started that crazy rumor?
0: You know what, I, I wish I knew the answer to that, Carbon, but whoever it was, uh, they should be they should be beside themselves because that's that's not a that's not a, you know, a rumor that you should start. It's not, it's not very, yeah, it's not very today, good idea. and I,
2: I felt bad for the guy. I felt, you know, and, and he didn't play last week. He wasn't on the roster or anything. And yet, you know, I think it was an Alabama fan, honestly, making excuses for why Trent Richardson has been a bust in the NFL. And, and you, you hear today that his mom had passed away and that he wasn't making the trip because he's attending the funeral or whatever, and then it would be a mm-hmm. hoax. I mean, my
0: God. I mean, people
3: are stupid.
0: Yeah, it's it's really ridiculous. And uh, yeah, I got a little bit of breaking news for you, Tarvin, and we're going to break it right here on your show on Williams Sports. Um, break it down.
3: It.
0: Yeah, we're going to break it down right here, right now. Um, it is official. Gary Kubiak has signed a four-year deal to become the head coach of the Denver Broncos. So now the question is, who's going to be the quarterback for the Broncos next year? Peyton Manning. I hope so. Oh God, I hope so. And, and with with Kubiak coming in, I I think Peyton probably feels a little more comfortable uh, coming back as opposed to somebody that maybe is unpr you know first time head coach or just hasn't proven himself. In other words, so maybe that's why they made that move, Tarvin. You know.
2: Something to convince Pete Manning to come back and, and give it one more shot. Do you think Kubiak's a good coach?
0: Um, you know I do, I do. I, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say he's great, but you you think about it. The best years that the Houston Texans had was with uh, with Gary Kubiak as their head coach. You know those years that they made it to the playoffs and they they got to the second round and, and things like that. You know it was with Kubiak. You know he's he's an offensive guy, so I think he I think he's a, he is a good coach. He's not, you know, anything great, but he's 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 good. I think he'll do good in Denver.
2: We'll see. It's been a coaching carousel. What do you think of thoughts real quick on Lane Kiffin being the top candidate for the offensive coordinator of San Francisco?
0: Um, what's San Francisco thinking? <laughs> really, I mean. Because here, here's the funny thing. So they don't want guys with egos, right, is what it seems like, because they let Jim Harbaugh go and, uh, you know, they want to bring in no-name guys. Well, Lane Kiffin is the total opposite of what what they're trying to do with that, with that team, and that's bringing guys with, you know, that you've never heard of or, or guys that don't have egos that won't, uh, you know, what you call it, um, kind of take the credit so to speak. Well, (laughs) what do you, and they're going to learn quick that that's definitely what Lane Kiffin is. He's an ego guy. So it's just funny how they they let Carbaugh go, but bring in they're trying to bring in Lane Kiffin.
2: Well, Cuervo, stay right there. We're going to bring on JC Sherbert, 247 sports. Glad to have him back on the show. JC, how's everything going? Thanks for joining us. Hey, it's great to be with you guys tonight. Well, thank you. So thanks again for joining us. And I know this is a a busy time of year for you, but it's also probably the best time of year, right? Well yeah, it's uh it's always interesting, you know, the when recruiting kinda comes down the final stretch and, you know, coaching changes happen. I mean it's the college football off season. I think uh what's great about college football is it doesn't it doesn't really end, um probably until signing day. I mean you kinda just go straight through and you know all the coaching changes happen in the recruiting, so it's uh it's kind of the home stretch for us, and uh, certainly I've uh, been staying busy and keeping track of everything. Well, I wanted to ask you the I guess to get it started tonight, really the topic: uh, Alabama losing two of their best recruiting coaches, one to LSU, which I understood taking that job as a defensive coordinator from a position coach. But Thompson, Lance Thompson, leaving Alabama as a linebacker coach to go to Auburn as a linebacker coach. Do you have any information on, on really, why that move took place? No, I, I think what it was was it, it was probably just about money and um, and taking the next opportunity. If you're Lance Thompson, you know he hasn't uh, he doesn't really stay in the same place, uh, you know, very often uh, for a long period of time. I know that was his. You know, second stand at Bama. Uh, you know, and the chance to go coach with Will Muschamp. You know, a friend of his, and to, to be a part of a great recruiting staff. You know, sometimes guys just, you know, make the decision to go do, you know, something different. And it's uh, for these guys. You know, Lance Thompson went to the Citadel, so he's not loyal to Auburn or Alabama. Um, you know, he's going to go to the next opportunity, and Auburn certainly is a great program. You know, the chance to to go coach with Will and uh, to be on that staff right now was a good opportunity for him. You know, I think, you know, as far as any kind of rumblings behind the scenes, you know, that's something I probably just put some time in on because you never know what to believe and what not to believe. But uh, Mm -hmm. I I think that Lance Thompson is a great recruiter and a a good coach and a a good person, and uh, I think he'll fit in fine Uh, at Auburn and do a great job. So, speaking of Auburn still, bringing in Muschamp and T-Rob, and I know it's late in the process. What kind of impact do you think bringing in Thompson, T-Rob, and Mustchamp is going to affect this class coming up? I mean, do they have enough time? I know they had a big recruiting weekend this weekend. Is it, is it enough to, to bring in several of these big elite five-star defensive players? I, I, think, I think so. I think, the you know, what you got to – Look out for is if it's a clean Sweep and if they get let's say They get C.C. C. Jefferson and Byron Cowards um, Then great but if they Only get one then that's still great You know because it is late and it Is a situation where If Florida were not in flux um, You know those guys Would be going to the Gators and uh, It just so happens that Auburn uh, You know got The remnants of the Gators coaching Staff and so there was a previously existing relationship there. Auburn also happens to be a pass rusher, so that's really attractive to both of those guys. Uh, You know, I think that with Cowart, I I like Auburn's chances a little bit better than with Jefferson, uh, just because I think Jefferson's very intrigued with Ole Miss, and I think Ole Miss has been stronger longer, you know, as far as that backup team uh, to Florida. Um, it wouldn't surprise me to see these guys ultimately end up at Florida. I mean, you know, if the new Florida staff can get in there and you know sort of convince them and, and build a quick relationship themselves, uh, then they can keep these guys in state. These guys all grew up Gators. So that's uh, you're fighting that regardless of who the coach is at Florida. Uh, it's just kind of a special circumstance now with, with Mustchamp going uh, to Auburn and uh, having that previously existing relationship, then the, the – the big, big need uh, for pass rushers. And these two guys are two of the best pass rushers in the country. So that's uh, that's kind of how I see it right now. I think if you're Auburn and you can get one of those two, uh, heck, it's a great day. And I think uh, if you threw Martez Ivy in there, uh, which I, I still think mm-hmm. Florida's in very good shape with, for him, but if you threw Martez Ivy in there, that's uh, that's big time as well. I mean, you know, it's going to be the difference between, you know, Great and really great, uh, you know. If Auburn, if Auburn can just get one, that's great. Uh, but if they go and, and they happen to get two or three, then that's a that's probably the headline of Signing Day that Auburn got those. It's it's, it's comparable to, you know, when Ole Miss closed like they did, you know, two cycles ago uh, with all those guys. It's that kind of big storyline. Uh, if they get more than one, and it's a big storyline if they just get one, but I, I think that realistically. If you can get one, it's a great day.
3: Yeah, and, and and imagine
2: next year, what could happen with a full year with this staff together. It could be the old, uh, to compete with Alabama and Nick Saban with recruiting. But, but, JC, there's a there's a question that pops up sometimes to me when, when we talk about recruiting, and I don't know if I answer it 100% the right way, but... A lot of people ask me, what's the difference, really? They hear kids going on unofficial visits and they hear them going on official. Can you explain to, to everyone, including myself, really what the difference is?
3: Yes. Uh, on
2: unofficial visits, it's more of a, like a meet and greet. It's a situation where... You know, players and their parents, they pay their own way to come. I think they can pay, you know, they end up setting up a little buffet or something for them. They pay seven bucks and, and eat pretty good. And, you know, it's nice. And, you know, sometimes during the summer you take those and you get to go toward the campus and all that good stuff. On an official visit, the school can roll out the red carpet. You know, you get banquet-style meals. Uh, you know, theres it's really a situation where the school puts its best foot forward. You know, that's why, I like, you know, sometimes I think kids get like this. They treat them kind of as vacations, and I don't agree with that. I think that you know it's it's rude if you're not really considering a school to go eat their food and you know take advantage of a trip on their dime. I mean, you know, you're not entitled to five vacations if you're a great high school football player. You're a high school football player. You're not like a you know like the American Sniper movie last night. That guy's a hero. You know that guy deserved. Yeah. Probably five free vacations. Just because you play high school football doesn't mean you're entitled to five free vacations. But that's my little rant on that. Uh, I think that uh, you know sometimes kids like Leonard Fournette last year. Uh, of course, he ended up at LSU. Most people thought that. Well, he you know he like a lot of kids that are local. Um, he said, "Well, I'm not going to take a visit to LSU because I can I can take that anytime I want. I'm familiar with it." Well, that puts LSU at a disadvantage because LSU can't wine him and dine him and pay for everything. And, you know, if you have a kid that has any doubt at all, you know, the schools that get him in for the official are going to have an advantage just because that perception of that school is going to be so much greater. Now, is it realistic? No. But uh, it's a situation where – you know, you're at a disadvantage if a kid doesn't take an official. Now, Fernandez ended up officially visiting LSU. They explained all that. They all got him. But I, I do think that, um, you know, I do think that sometimes there is a warped sense uh, of exactly what an official visit means and, and sort of, you know, why if you're interested in a school or if it's your favorite, you're not, you know, you're not helping your decision along uh, if you don't take an official visit. Well, thank you for for clearing that up. And I mean, on official visits like like last night when all these kids were in Auburn and everything, do they bring? Are they allowed to to bring outside players in, old players that used to play, and and just try to sell these guys? Are they watching film, showing how they're gonna how they're gonna work in an offense or a defense? I've always been curious about that. Yeah, all of the above. Basically, though, it's it's you know it's about. Having a good time and getting to know everybody, and, you know, like I said, having a nice dinner banquet, things like that, you know, and, and really pairing them up with people who are their hosts, and you know, it's it's a fun, fun time. And um, you know, as far as former players go, I don't I don't know what the rules are exactly uh, as far as them just being on campus and being able to run into guys. Um, you know, I I think that's that's legal. I, I just think it has to be kind of a a nonchalant kind of situation, kind of like the bump rule. But, yeah, I mean, you know, your, your school is putting your best foot forward. And, and it is all about trying to impress prospects and their families. And, and and that's why, you know, 80% of the guys that go on officials, 90% of the guys that go on official visits say so they have a great time. I mean, there, there's not, you know, there are very few stories of bad official visits. That happen, and if a bad official visit happens, it's uh, it's usually a situation where both the prospect and the the program, you know, part ways with each other. You maybe a kid does something wrong on a visit or something, but it's usually a great time regardless uh, of a kid's interest level in the school or not. How do coaches handle it when on these official visits a, a kid may, maybe like you said for Ned he knows he's going to LSU and even the coaches know that but he comes for an official visit what happens when these coaches I mean worry about these other kids coming in and trying to recruit from like from Auburn to LSU do you hear stories of that happening a lot? Not really. I mean, most it used to be that and and that was that would be a situation where a kid maybe got sent home or something like that but. uh Coaches are also very, like, you know, they they have to at least have a puncher's chance to have a kid in on the visit. You know, and, it, like, I think Leonard Fredette visited,
0: who was it, Miami.
2: Uh, you know, hey, it's Miami, it's fun. You never know. He may go down there and fall in love with the place. You, you know, you, you put your best foot forward and you take a shot. Yeah. Um, you know, any time a kid does go on an official visit someplace, that team has a shot because they can make such a good impression. I mean, like I said, it may be a puncher's chance, but, uh, you know, you have a shot. Now, one thing I have heard, Hawaii doesn't, um, they don't bring in loads of guys for official visits just because it's, uh, you know, a lot of kids would take advantage of that. And so I think they have to be pretty much uh, convinced that you're ready to commit it up before they'll bring you an official at Hawaii. But uh, other schools, you know, hey, if you've got a you know, anytime you get a guy in, you may have a puncher's chance. You know, San Diego State had uh, a big time player. I don't remember exactly who. It was, I think it's from Georgia. You know, a couple of years ago, uh, had him out there visited, and and you know that's you know you sit there and go wonder, well they're they're dumb. Why did you know why did they you know why did they bring this guy out? Why did they waste the money? Because uh, he obviously was going someplace else. Well, here's the thing: that kid goes to the favored school you know, maybe something doesn't go right at that school. Maybe something doesn't go right in his life. Maybe he gets discouraged. Maybe he wants to transfer. He goes to a junior college. He remembers that great visit he had to San Diego State, and the relationship he has with the coaches, and he goes, hey, you know, that that's probably where I want to land because then at that point, it's about depth chart playing time and getting to the league if he has any kind of aspirations like that at all. And for a junior college player, you know, it, it's more about those types of things than the pomp and circumstance so, so the point is you never know You never know uh, If you're going to end up with a kid Eventually or not so you always want to put your Best foot forward and you know that's Why I think that um, you know if There's even a small opening You bring that kid in And if he comes to your campus and recruits For another school you put him on the plane home.
3: <laughs>
2: And that's uh, <laughs> I've seen that done before So that's, uh, that's kind of what you do well, that's some good stuff, JC. And and one interesting thing that's coming out, and and I don't know what kind of impact this this would have on recruiting, especially at a school like Alabama. But it's it's rumored, and I read it on ESPN that Lane Kiffin is the front runner for the offensive coordinator job at San Francisco. With with losing a lot of starters on offense and and the coaching changes on defense, what would happen if Lane Kiffin took the job at San Francisco before signing day? Well Nick Saban would have um have some spots to fill i uh, I think um you know you look at Alabama and sort of who they're recruiting and and all that they're just about done i mean so it's it's not and they enrolled i think ten early, so two of those guys I think Blake Barnett's already there, that's the quarterback um and that would be the guy that it would have the most impact on but um I don't know that these coaching losses are going to really affect Alabama in twenty fifteen I think what it does do is every school that recruits against Alabama is going to get a leg up in 2016. And, and like, if you're Auburn, you know, Auburn doesn't really recruit head-to-head against Alabama except for the in-state guys. And Auburn got just about, you know, I I think, what, Kerry and Johnson and then the other one of the top three. I mean, you look at the state of Alabama rankings, and uh, Auburn's more than holding its own with those kids. So you don't really have that – You know that head-to-head maybe like you used to, simply because Alabama casts such a wide net these days, and you know they'll go go all over the country to get guys. And you know, in a way, I think that's good for Auburn because uh, honestly, uh, the number eight player in Alabama uh, versus the number two player in Virginia, maybe uh, there's not that much difference at all. In fact, it's going to come down to talent maximization by that player and a coaching staff's ability to get the most out of them. So you know even though alabama's classes are highly ranked simply because they you know cast a wide net uh, it, it's not always the case that you know auburn or, or anybody else is recruiting that much low and that much lower level than they are you know simply because of you know the net they cast and and sort of the broad uh the broad area where they go and recruit when when you recruit nationally like that you know your average star rating and things like that are, are going to naturally be higher just because you're cherry-picking from all over the country.
3: And it, it's not
2: always an apples-to-apples apples type of comparison with that. So I, I think that, uh, you know, if you're Auburn and uh, Alabama's losing some coaches uh, and, you know, you're going to try to really get in the mix, um, you know, for those in-state kids for 2016 and try to lock some of them down, especially those that had relationships with those guys, uh and so that's where I think the benefit for, you know, recruiting against Alabama is going to pay off with these changes. Yes, good stuff, J C and and the Oregon Ducks, you know, I was I was thinking the other night watching that game that I think with Helpridge, I don't know what kind of a recruiter he was, and hopefully you'll fill us in on that, but losing uh Mariota now and, and Oregon to me they don't seem like they recruit. At a high level, they have a system. But what do you think of Oregon's class? What kind of impact of losing the championship game the way they did? How is that going to impact their recruiting? I don't think it impacts them too much. They just kind of do what they do. But but I'll say this. It was clear when you watched that game who recruited at a higher level. Um, it was clear when Oregon could not block Adolphus Washington, who <laughs> was a five-star defensive end <laughs> that moved inside the defensive tackle. Um, you know, it was clear who had the superior guys. It was clear when Ezekiel Elliott just ran through them like they were basically nothing
3: uh, who had
2: the superior players. Uh, I think what Oregon does sometimes is they play so fast and they have such a great system, they out-scheme people and they wear people out. Uh, you know, if you watch the Michigan State game this year, and Michigan State, let's be honest, did not have as good of a defense as they had. I guess, you know, previously, in the previous year. In fact, I think Ohio State put 49 on them in East Lansing. But in that, if you watch that game, Oregon hit them in the mouth early. They got up. Well, then Michigan State sort of settled in, kind of let their talent take over, and they got up 27 to 18. Well, then Oregon started just running, 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 and they just kept going, going, going. And, you know, Michigan State got tired and ended up losing the ball game. So I think that's uh, – That's kind of what Oregon does. It's not a – I mean, they have talented players. Don't get me wrong. They have guys that are going to play in the NFL. But you watch that game and you watch the matchups, especially in the trenches, and Ohio State clearly was the more talented team. And, you know, if you look at the recruiting rankings the past three or four years, you know, it kind of plays out that way. And it wasn't just a little bit of an advantage either. It was a – it was a significant mm-hmm. advantage. That that team wearing scarlet and gray was superior to the team wearing white. If you were just an alien from another planet, you came down and looked <laughs> at it, you're like, "Well, that, the red guys are better." So uh, I think that that's uh, you know that's an example of yes, you can recruit to a system, and yes, you can win a lot of games doing that. It doesn't mean you won't ever win a national championship, but you get into a game with a team that has superior talent like that. And uh, you know, you're gonna struggle some most of the time, especially with the game plan they had on both sides of the ball. That was that was the best game plan in a championship game I think I've seen uh probably since two thousand eleven with Alabama and L S. U. Uh sort of with, with all the adjustments they made because that was the second time they played. But um, you know, that was a great game plan by Meyer and his staff and you know, they just they said, "Well, we're better than you. We're going to line up, and run it right at you. We're going to throw play action over the top. We're going to play great defense and scheme you up." And by God, they did four turnovers, and they still won by twenty-two points. That was the amazing part. When I looked at everything, I remember at halftime. Someone said, "What do you think?" And I said, "Oregon's lucky to be in this ball game." And it, they they kept shooting themselves in the foot, but yet they still won that game. It wasn't even a game. That. that I mean, that's talent, isn't it? That shows you how much talent and coaching is better in Ohio State than in Oregon. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that's what it was. They had better players and they had a better game plan. And that's uh, that's why they won. I mean, Oregon's a great, great football team. Look at what they did at Florida State. But, um, you know, Ohio State was a completely different matter. And, um, you yeah, know, I think we started to see it sort of in the Alabama game and even even in the Big Ten championship game just sort of, it all come together uh, for Urban Meyer and, and the Buckeyes, and I think that uh, you know they won it, and it was a great story. And heck, I, I don't—I'm not an Urban Meyer hater like a lot of people, so I was—I was, I was kind of happy to see him win it. Well, there's one team I want to talk about if you don't mind just for a second—the Mississippi State Bulldogs had a lot of success up until the end. They lost Alabama and Ole Miss, and then they get embarrassed by Georgia Tech. Is Dan Mullen going to be able to, to pull the recruits in? Now, they lost a lot of players. They lost their defensive coaches. Dan Mullen, how's his recruiting looking right now for 2015? Well, they're having a good year. I'm going to say this. I don't know that you know, Manny Diaz got a big uh, – sort of had a lot of uh, – he gets a lot of blame for what happened at Texas. And I think we're all seeing the Texas situation with his institutional – Problem, and so I don't know from an X's and O's standpoint, they didn't upgrade, you know, from Jeff Collins, and that's nothing against Jeff Collins. I think he's a fine defensive coordinator, but I think Manny Diaz sort of maybe misunderstood a little bit, or you know, misblamed for some things.
0: Uh, But this this year's class
2: for Mississippi State has been in the in the in the works as being very good, probably the best one on paper. Dan Mullen has signed at seventeenth nationally. Uh, eighth in the SEC. Uh, They've got six guys enrolled already, uh, including a a player I really like out of Mississippi Gulf Coast, College, offensive tackle, Uh, Donald Gray, is coming from Copiah Lincoln. He's a big player receiver. Uh, Malik Deer is one of the top prospects in Mississippi. Um, They've got all those guys already enrolled. And then Jamal Peters, one of the best safeties in the country, Fletcher Adams, uh, it's committed. They got a good running back out of uh,
0: pension Valley, Alabama, Nick Gibson. Um, you know, it's been a really, really good <laughs> recruiting effort for them. Um,
2: getting Dak Prescott back and sort of, uh, you know, making the hire they did, as a defensive coordinator. I think, you know, I, I think they, I think they could end up having a similar type of year. Uh, I don't know that they'll get off to the eight and 9 and zero start uh, that they did. Uh, last year where they're kind of the number one team in college football. But but I think, can they win 10 games again next year? Yes, I think that that could be definitely possible. There are some holes to fill, but I think, uh, you know, with the way they've recruited in this class, it, it gives them a chance to do it. I mean, the SEC West is not going to be easy for anybody. Uh, but uh, I think that, uh, you know, as far as on paper and all that good stuff goes, I mean, it, it's not a, as serious of a drop-off as maybe some may say. Well, J.C., the last team I want to cover, and thank you for your time again for coming on the show. When I look through your rankings and I see LSU at 14, I just, I just want to ask you what happened. I mean, I'm so used to seeing LSU at between 1 and 3 and just loaded with with blue chippers everywhere, what's going on in LSU? Is is it cyclical? I mean, why are they not landing these top studs like they usually do? Is it less miles, or is it the turnover at coach uh, sometimes and, and position uh, coaches? LSU, LSU had, I think, the number two class last year, and last year it was just a, a terrific, terrific year in the state of Louisiana. You know, as far as um, you know, as far as uh, elite, elite best-in-the-country type of talent. You also have to keep in mind LSU only has 16 commits right now, Uh, so they could end up going higher. Uh, You know, Kevin Tolliver, one of the best corners in the country, Patrick Peterson-esque, David Decree is a big-time running back. Uh, You know, they've got guys. Tyron Johnson's very fast. It's just a situation where they don't really have the talent in state this cycle that's at the high elite national level. Um, you know, to have a, a top three to five class. You know, their numbers aren't going to play out that way. But, you know, there's a lot of very good players in LSU. And then if you look at it over a two-year period, you know, this cycle versus last cycle, and it's, um, you know, they're, that's a lot of talent, you know, <laughs> when you combine those two. So, so I think they'll be fine. I think the big need at LSU right now is they have to figure out the quarterback situation. Uh, Anthony Jennings is very average. Um, and then Brandon Harris you know, probably has some growing up and developing to do. So it's going to be interesting to sort of see, you know, if they address that, if they're going to transfer, you know, what are they going to do about the quarterback situation? Because that's really what they're missing right now, Um, you know, all offense. And and that's kind of why they weren't as as good uh, this year uh, from start to finish. I mean, they still won some big ball games and stuff, but it's – you know, it's a situation where you know they're used to winning ten or eleven and being in the hunt for championships. And if they get back there, uh, if they get back there, they're going to have to solve the quarterback situation. All right, before you go, can you give us a team out there that you think could really make some noise on national signing day? And, and like you said, maybe be the headline. Uh, absolutely, I, th- I think if it's not an Auburn type of deal. Uh, you know, I'm looking at USC because uh, the second for the second straight recruiting cycle, there's three five-star prospects in Los Angeles that are waiting until signing day that are all leaning to USC. <laughs> you know, last year they got <laughs> the big three: T. Martin closed greatly. I think they finished third in the country. You know, this year it's even better with uh, Iman Marshall, the top corner in the country; Rasheed Green, the five-star defensive tackle, and then um, John Houston, big bad John Houston what i call him he's one of the best linebackers in the country (laughs) they're all three local kids and um you know usc can end up sweeping them and they're already fifth uh so their chances of moving to two or even one uh, at the end of the day but it's going to be very good uh so i think that usc is the team that i got my eye on you know heading into national signing day all right jc i appreciate you coming on the show as always great job and hopefully we can get you on uh signing day or shortly thereafter if you can, if you have time. Sure guys, just let me know. I appreciate y'all. Yes, sir. Have a good one. And that was J.C. Sherbert, the national recruiting director for 247 sports CBS. Always a great job. Love talking to J.C. He breaks it down. He gives you a lot of good information. And like he said, watch out for USC on signing day or Auburn. They could really make a move up to get in that top one, two, or three. You just never know. When you're recruiting a, when you're recruiting heavily these blue-chip five-star athletes, you have to be patient. You have to wait to the end. And sometimes if you put all your eggs in one basket, it can burn you, but it also can be very beneficial. And, you know, as an Auburn fan, you watch Auburn recruit over the years. It, it wasn't until – Gene Chizik got here, really, and then followed by Gus Malzahn, that they were actually going after some of the best players in the country. Before that, with Tupperville, it was mostly in-state guys and maybe a few four-stars somewhere, but that would be about it. But now, in the signing day, and the class was full by signing day, there was no surprises, really. But this signing day could be very, very entertaining for some people. And I'm going to try to take off work that day. It's going to be so exciting to be able to see – where some of these guys land, because that's the future of your of your school. You heard JC say it when you watched Ohio State and Oregon. It was a, such a big difference in talent. And if you look over the past few years of recruiting, the teams that you that have been most successful: Alabama, Florida State, Auburn, USC, Ohio State, teams like that. They've been recruiting consistent top ten talent. Oregon is to me is the only exception. They, I don't think they've ever had a top five or six finish, but yet they have a certain system that that's very good, and they get results out of it, and very successful program. Or I'm not trying to take anything away from them, but if you're up there and you and, and you're recruiting in the top ten year in and year out, you're going to be playing for championships. It's just a matter of time if you have the right coaches and a team to look out for. Tennessee, right now with their number three in the 247 ranking with five or two five star players, 11 four stars and 14 three stars. Add that on to what Butch Jones did last year when he came in, Tennessee is going to be a force to be reckoned with next year and the years to come. It's just it's 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 not hard to predict when you see the the type of coach Butch Jones is and you see the hunger and fire back in that program getting up finally a bowl game, winning the bowl game. Finishing on a positive note, they have a quarterback coming back, and you add all this talent in there that's coming in. I'm going to go ahead and tell everybody out there, I think Tennessee wins the SEC East next year. And I've been saying it for a couple years now. I've been watching them. They're going to be back. It's going to be a race, I think, between Georgia, Florida, and Tennessee. I think Tennessee's going to edge them out because of the quarterback play. You look at Dobbs coming back with some experience. Georgia's going to break in a new quarterback. Florida's going to break in, really, a quarterback with not much experience. So, at the end of the day, you look at coaching. You look at talent. Tennessee's going to be right there in the east. I think Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, teams like that are going to be down. South Carolina's not going to be that great, but they'll be competitive But it's going to be the year next year. Tennessee is going to be able to win the SEC East, and it it could be exciting. A lot of good things. And just to update people real quick on some rankings and recruiting, while we're talking Ole Miss, we talked about Mississippi State. They're at 17, Ole Miss at 18, which is surprising. I mean, Ole Miss for a while was ranked up in the top four. Hugh Freeze um, gets a little extension on his contract, but yet they're sitting at number 18. UCLA at 19, Miami at 20. Let's go on up. We talked about LSU at 14, Oklahoma's at 13, Texas 12, Penn State 11, Auburn 10, Notre Dame 9, Texas A&M 8, Ohio State 7, Clemson 6, Southern Cal 5, Georgia 4, Tennessee 3, Florida State 2, and, of course, Alabama right now at number 1. A lot of this shakeup could happen in the top 10. I think at the end of the day, Alabama's going to stay at number 1 unless something drastic happens maybe like a Kiffin leaving or, or maybe a couple of flips before signing day. But it's going to be interesting. And you look at Auburn, I made that prediction before the year, before it even started when Mutschamp got higher. They're going to finish in the top three, I think, in recruiting. If they can finish in the top five, that's going to be great. But I'm going to stretch it on up to three. I think with C.C. Jefferson, Holland, Coward, Ivy, I think they're going to get at least two of those guys and add on a couple more. They still have seven to eight positions opening, um, so they could fill those with some four or five stars. So it's going to be fun to see. And just an update before we go, New England up 45-7 to over Indianapolis with a minute left in the game. You have to be very disappointed if you're Indy with the performance you put out tonight. You make it to the AFC Championship game, there's no reason you should lose by 40 points. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to be disappointed that every year you have a team that can win your, your weak division. But when it comes to playing on the road, you just pull it out. Andrew Luck, to me, I had him ranked at number two. I think he's a good quarterback. I'm going to have to rethink that tonight and, and drop him down. So I'm going to have Tom Brady at number one right now. for one, Or Aaron Rodgers, I'm sorry, at number one even though he lost today, and I'm going to put Tom Brady at two. And I know uh, my grandmother's not going to really like that right now. I know she's listening, but I'm sorry. But Tom Brady with a 45-7 win tonight against Indy, I have to put him up there. And I love you, Memo Smith. It's okay. okay. I still love you. And I know you, you do not like Tom Brady. But tonight he's going to beat Indianapolis, and they will be in the Super Bowl against Seattle next week or in two weeks, actually. There's a week off in between. So we'll get some predictions. We'll start going over the Super Bowl uh, Wednesday night. We'll do a show at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. want to thank J.C. Sherbert for coming on, doing an interview during this busy time. I, mean, I know it's, it's tough for him to make time for interviews during recruiting, but we appreciate it. Hopefully we can get him live on this show for National Signing Day we can do a show to get him live to go over some of these updates, give us some news of the day. But just to remember before we go that Lane Kiffin, the Alabama offensive coordinator, is the leading candidate for the offensive coordinator position at San Francisco. If he leaves Alabama before signing day, there could be some some rumblings and some, some flips going on for, for signing day. Let's not forget that Alabama lost two of their top recruiters, one to Auburn and one to LSU. and If they lose Lane Kiffin, that's going to be three of their top recruiters, really, besides Kirby Smart and Nick Saban going off this squad, which, like JC said, it may not affect this class, but it's definitely going to give some of these other schools a leg up in the 2016 recruiting because they're already going to be able to get a jump start while Alabama's looking to fill some voids in that coaching staff. But, Thanks everybody for listening. Have a, a great holiday tomorrow, a day off work. And I know some people get it, some people don't. If you're off, be thankful you're off work. If you have to work, just be thankful you have a job. And we'll see you Wednesday night at eight thirty. Have a great week.